0: Hi, I'm Susie Burrell. And I'm Leanne Ward. And welcome to The Nutrition Couch, a weekly podcast from two of Australia's leading dietitians, bringing you everything that is new in the world of nutrition, diets, and good food. From The Nutrition Couch today, secrets of the slim. What do we know about long-term successful dieters who manage to not only lose weight, but keep it off long-term? We look at the research database that is predictive of weight loss success long-term. We discuss the concept of being overweight but undernourished. Our product review of the week is at a whole food protein bar. And talking about protein, our listener question is about how much protein is too much and can it be dangerous to overdo it? But to kick us off this episode, we spent a little bit of time thinking about what were some great themes to start a new year. And rather than discuss resolutions and extreme health programming. We thought it would be interesting to talk about some goals. And so Leanne, I know you've had a little bit of a, a think about your goals for 2022, and I was pretty impressed that you were very bang, bang, bang. I had to think a bit more about mine, but what is um going to happen in the world of Leanne in 2022? One of my first goals,
1: I did say I was going to, my first goal was to survive motherhood and
0: you went, let's call it thrive.
1: So my goal (laughs) is to thrive in motherhood. I love the positive spin that you put on there for me Susie. So that's my first goal is to get through with Bub and Hubby for the first year of being new parents. Um, Secondary goal, we hope to have either built or made some substantial progress towards our dream house build. And thirdly, I would like to continue to host events. So I actually ran my very first event last year in Brisbane, Susie in the middle of some lockdowns and had quite a few people registered for Sydney and Melbourne based events as well. So it was the Empower, Nourish and Sustain event for women. Um, I absolutely loved it. I thrived with it. It was an amazing day, but I just couldn't quite make it to Sydney and Melbourne between all of the lockdowns. So my goal for this year, pending what happens with, um, you know, fingers crossed, everything goes well. Things continue to open back up. Australia gets on top of coronavirus and that sort of thing. I would love to continue to host some events this year.
0: I like that idea. And I think that You've got me thinking about how good it will be when we finally can come together and actually do some things for the nutrition couch. So that was that's something I'm gonna write down on my goals. You know, I think the thing with goals in the psychology research is that outcome is significantly more likely when goals are documented and reviewed regularly. So another little trick is to touch base with someone, whether it's a coach or a colleague or a a professional mentor, maybe it's you and Eileen to actually document those goals and come back and check on progress through the year. So that's another little trick when it comes to goal attainment and what the research shows. But in terms, I usually have a, a goal list a mile long, but I think I'm just overwhelmed in general after the past couple of years. So it's taken me a little while to, to get a couple going, but definitely we need to move. Uh, Chris and I have been discussing moving for, I reckon, five years <laughs> and we have finally agreed that it is time. So definitely that's on my list next year is to, to get a home that's a little bit more family-friendly. I need a new website. <laughs> I've needed a new website for a long time. You may think that going and getting professional photographs and designing a website might be glamorous. I can't stand any of it, including the photographs, but this has to happen because my tech is so out of date. So that I'm definitely documenting that to the nutrition couch and listeners and to you, Leanne, that that is on my goal list. And I am really keen for us to get together and, and do some great social media content for our listeners. So as soon as we can break down those borders and get and do some promotions for The Nutrition Couch, that's pretty high on the top of my goal list as well. So I'll commit to three. And um, let's come back and check in on our word of the year, of course. Yours was, I can't remember, mine's energy. What's yours, word of the year? I was going to say thrive, but I don't think it is. Let me just check. No, that's not very good, isn't it? We can't remember a week later. Yours was energy. Mine <laughs> was good. growth.
1: growth. Mine was growth. <laughs> <laughs> so the year of growth. And my goals are in alignment with that. Yeah. Result, which is nice. Yeah, so that's <laughs>
0: our goals. You've heard it here first. We're committing and we will touch base regularly, particularly on the word of the year and see how everyone's going. But, okay, that's enough about us really because we're here to talk about topics that are of interest to you. And so one of the areas that we thought might be quite interesting to our listeners is that we speak a lot on the podcast about weight control, even weight loss. And what we haven't spoken about yet, Leanne, is that there's a really long-term strong database of successful weight loss in the US, and it's known as the National Weight Control Registry, and it's run by a respected obesity researcher, Rena Wing, and she started that back in 1994. And basically it tracks a group of Americans who have lost a significant amount of weight, I want to say 20 kilos, and kept it's it It's an off. average of 33. Oh, there you go, because they keep coming back to the data set mm-hmm. and re-looking at these people every um, five years or so. So it's a really strong set of data. And basically they've picked out some of the key behavioral habits of people who lose weight and keep it off long-term. And the data is really strong. It's a really strong research quality. And what I even love more, Leanne, is that the actual recommendations are so simple. There's no extreme diets. There's no restrictive programs. There's no special shakes or products. These are the key identified variables of people who successfully lose a significant amount of weight and keep it off. So first of all, they are committed to and engage in very high levels of physical activity, at least an hour a day. So forget just getting a few steps in, Forget doing a little waltz around the block. It's really high commitment to maintaining muscle mass, keeping that energy burn going at least an hour a day, every day of physical activity. They eat a calorie controlled, low fat diet. Now, straight away, people are going to be saying, oh, low fat's not good. But at the end of the day, it comes back, it appears to weight, uh, weight control comes back to calorie control. They do eat breakfast regularly now. I know in recent years there's been a growing um, evidence base around fasting and extending that overnight fast, but in this particular cohort of people, definitely breakfast is is implicated in weight control. They keep a close eye on the scales, Leanne. Now, we definitely are not encouraging people to become obsessed with the scales, but certainly it seems that keeping an eye on weight before it creeps up again is a key part of this. Weighing once or twice each week ensures that those scales don't creep up long-term. And probably the one variable that I find of most interest, and one of the key things I see with my own clients, Leanne, people who have lost a significant amount of weight and kept it off, they maintain a consistent pattern of eating All the time. So basically this tells me, Leanne, they're not on a diet or they're not off it. They're always kind of on it. And whilst there may be special occasion meals or a birthday cake here and there, they don't say, right, I'm having a cheat day or a cheat period of time they keep their diet consistent. So every day they eat breakfast. They try and add the the vegetable bulk in most of the time. They keep an eye on the calories. So I think that is a really pertinent take-home point, particularly at this time of year when we've had a lot of celebrations. It's not a matter of being on a diet and off it. It's about being consistent most of the time. So I love those tips because they're evidence-based. They're easy but it's all about that consistency. And as I said, this is one of the strongest databases we've got that looks at, at successful losers for one of a better description. And I think we can all take something from that.
1: And I think it's really key to take home that this database, which is it's huge research in America, like they, they followed thousands of people, didn't they Susie, for I think 10, 20 years. So really the research is, it's showing that, you know, we know that most diets don't work. We know that most people who attempt to lose weight are not successful, but this database has shown us that there are approximately 20% of overweight individuals who were successful at long-term weight loss. Like 20% is not a lot, Susie. Like it's kind of depressing when you actually look at the research around people who are successful with weight loss, but successful was defined in this database as losing at least 10% of your initial body weight and maintaining that loss for at least a year. So that if you were hundred kilos, that's getting down to 90 kilos and maintaining that for at least a year, then you would have been included in this data set. But as Susie said, the data set has been continuously updated. And what this National Weight Loss Control Registry now looks at is of all of their members, and I think there are thousands of them, they have lost an average of 33 kilos all up, and they have maintained that loss for more than five years, which is very, very rare. And a lot of people can't say that they're able to do that. So this wasn't somebody who wanted to lose a couple of kilos. Most of these People with an average of 33 kilos were in that, you know, obese to sort of morbidly obese range. They, they were very large, larger bodies to begin with. It wasn't someone who just went, oh, I just want to drop half a dress size or a couple of kilos or lose three kilos by my birthday. These are people who had some significant weight to lose with an average of 33 kilos. But hats off to them they did an incredible job they have maintained it for at least 5 years and i think as you said susie the most important things were the regular movement so it doesn't mean smashing yourself for an hour in the gym every day it could just mean for, you know going for an hour walk each day because if you have a desk job you are not going to get in the steps that are needed to actually be helpful for movement and weight loss long-term. And I think the other important thing was that their weekdays were just as consistent as their weekend. They didn't do crazy things. They didn't go and have a bottle of wine on a Friday and a Saturday night. They didn't go and eat out for breakfast on Saturday, lunch on Saturday, then had dinner out with their friends. They were consistently eating a good, healthy breakfast, monitoring their lunch intake. um, And they were monitoring and being accountable to themselves or somebody else long-term as well. And I feel like that accountability, whether you've got a coach, whether it's like a family member and a loved one, That accountability is something that is really, really important for long-term success as well. And I love that this, you know, we now have, not now, this this research has been around for a long time, but we have the research and the evidence to prove that that accountability long-term is so, so helpful. Just like a lot of people, you know, they see their PT for years and years and years, but they're actually not able to lose weight. They're getting the accountability from an exercise perspective, but they're not getting the accountability from a nutrition perspective. So this new year, perhaps do something a little bit different, enlist the help of a dietitian, not for just one or two appointments, perhaps from an actual coaching-based perspective, where you're working with them on a longer-term basis to keep yourself accountable long-term and making sure that you're actually following through with a lot of these strategies long-term. Remember, these people lost an average of 33 kilos, but it took them five years. So if your goal is to lose 10, 20, 30 kilos, you're not going to do it in an eight-week program. So commit to something that is long-term that and strategies that you can actually see yourself doing long-term, I think is the most important message this new year, Susie. It is. And
0: it was 10 people in that database so it's quite substantial and significant and um, as I mm-hmm. said I remember this data when I was studying back in the the late 90s which shows how old I am really but it, it's uh, reassuring I think when it comes to being on the right track with things and I think the great the thing I love most of all about those tips is that they're all doable you don't have to be strictly fasting dieting yes and that's you know what we've always said and, and you're right if, if nothing else if you make a commitment to starting the day with a a decent breakfast and scheduling and making activity a priority, you'll start the year on on the right track when it comes to your health long term.
1: I really like and appreciate that research as well. So if anyone's interested in it further, um, let us know on our social media at The Nutrition Couch Podcast and we can perhaps link that study up or we'll put some more information up there on social media for you guys. Um, But moving on to our next topic, Susie, it's a little bit controversial but I do think it deserves a discussion and it's this, I guess this topic or this new concept around being obese but also undernourished. So I guess the new nutrition reality in 2022, it's not just about countries having a problem with undernutrition or having a problem with obesity. Countries have a problem with both these days. It's a combination of both of these issues, and it's taking into account things like changes to our food system, where we now have this increased availability of ultra-processed foods, which are generally quite affordable. It's also linked to an increase in weight gain, but without the nutrients usually associated with taking in more calories. So we're eating more calories, but we're getting less nutrients. And I had, a, I guess, an interesting sort of client case study that I wanted to sort of talk through, because in my past, my client said, I've always been able to lose weight, but I've never felt great. So I've never actually been able to maintain it. So she did that um, what's called sort of the flexible dieting. So she put herself in a calorie deficit. She counted her calories, but she essentially was focusing on foods that were super low calorie, like diet type foods. So she ate a lot of junk food, a lot of Diet Coke, a lot of like sugar-free jellies and chocolates and that sort of thing. So filled her up relatively okay because they were really low calorie products. She lost weight and she got down to her quote unquote goals, but she felt horrible. She had a lot of nutrient deficiency. She was low in iron, low in B twelve, her energy was crap. And her muscle mass, like she just she said, I looked in the mirror and although I looked like I'd lost weight, I didn't feel good. I felt weak. I didn't I didn't have the 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 strong tone looks that I wanted. So after working with me for 12 weeks, she lost a very similar amount of weight. And each time she would rebound back in between, she would regain the weight again, because, you know, she'd get sick of counting the calories, she gets sick of eating, you know, drinking the Diet Coke and having the two minute noodles and that sort of thing, or the cup of soups all day long. She just wanted to, you know, eat some better food. So... Working with me for 12 weeks, she lost a similar amount of weight, but she was amazed at A, how different she felt and B, how different she looked. So she had a lot more energy. And because we were focusing on proper training and that regular sort of spread of protein throughout the day, metabolically, we were supporting her a lot more and we were focusing on more nutrients and whole foods as well. So yes, she was eating a similar amount of calories, but the macronutrient and the micronutrient profile of the foods that she was eating was very different. So as an example, you know, her previous lunch option would have been like a cup of soup or some two-minute noodles, a Diet Coke to fill her up, and maybe like a sugar-free chocolate or something like that. That would have been her lunch, Susie. Whereas, you know, we are now doing things like she's having, say a chicken wrap with a piece of fruit or one or two squares of just normal quality chocolate, not sugar-free or anything like that. For Similar sort of calories, but the nutrient profile is very different. So I think it's important to understand that it's not just about the food we eat and the calories. Of course, to lose weight, we need to be in a calorie deficit, but the nutrient profile of the foods that we eat absolutely matters as well. And I think so many of us are just trying to find the lowest calorie product, forgetting that the lowest calorie products often are the most nutrient poor as well. So we end up with this concept over time where we're just missing a lot of the micronutrients in our diet because our micronutrients, our vitamins, our minerals, our antioxidants, our phytochemicals are just as important, if not more important than our overall macronutrients and our calories as well. Everyone's obsessed with our calories and our macros, forgetting completely about our micronutrients and important things such as fiber as well, which we know long-term for our gut health, our immunity, our mood, our mental health are so incredibly important as well.
0: I think that I see this quite often with clients when they send me their food diaries and it, and it will be quite healthy because they might be seeking out uh, salads in some cases when they're eating out or they've purchased a meal or a meal kit from a supermarket. But when you take a closer look at it, you're right. It's missing those micronutrients or just the volume of, of bulk that comes from fresh food. So, A classic example is they might pick up a a pre made salad at at a food court and it might seem quite healthy. So say for example, Leanne, it's a chicken Greek salad. Now it looks okay. There's a little bit of chicken there though. Probably not the volume if you would make a chicken salad at home. There's usually a, a dressing that's often not the best kind of oil. And there might be a little bit of tomato or a few cubes of cucumber, but If you or I were to make a salad, it would contain several different types of salad ingredients. We would use good quality extra virgin olive oil. We would use a very lean type of chicken. So to me, the difference is it can seem quite healthy, but it lacks that nutrient density. And what we do know about health and longevity is it comes down to nutrient density. And in general, the meals that we prepare at home tend to be much, much, higher in that fresh food or I'm just thinking of another example I just had another food diary come through and my client she had just had some some lean sort of sausages on the plate but then she'd used a fried vegetable chip that came from the freezer section of the supermarket and I think there was just some salad leaves so on the plate it looks reasonably healthy but the the protein wasn't overly lean then the the style of sweet potato was processed. So you were losing a lot of that nutrient quality that comes from say a fresh sweet potato chip that you would make yourself. And then um, the salad, well, it was a few sort of leafy greens. It was nowhere near sort of several different brightly colored veggies. So she was perceiving it as being quite healthy and it was certainly healthier than a fast food meal, but it didn't have anywhere near the bulk and the nutrient density. And so that's where we want to really focus on loading that up because the truth is the larger the body. So if you are carrying a significant amount of weight and you might be 90, 100 plus kilos, your energy demands and your nutrient demands are, are slightly higher because your metabolism requires those key nutrients. And when you we tick the box on all the vitamin B that you need and the magnesium and the iron, several of those would be lacking. And so if you're eating like that more days than not, over time, you can see how that does creep up on us. And that's actually probably why... When people see a dietician or they start on a meal plan and they really commit to some meal prep and eating really well for a couple of weeks, or even on something that we wouldn't normally endorse, but sort of a detox or a diet reset that's why people feel so good because all of a sudden they're loading their system with so much more vitamins and minerals than they're used to getting. The body gets really excited and feels great. So to me it's about that real focus on the nutrient density and probably the easiest take-home tip I would say, Leanne, is is the mantra we use for gut health, which is getting 30 different varieties of plant-based foods in the diet per week. But even, you know, if you want to go hardcore and try and do that almost daily the the effect on your digestive system, your energy, and in terms of getting those key nutrients with a wide range of, say, seeds and different types of good quality fats. And the more brightly colored fresh fruit and vegetables, the better. And just that range of food instantly will significantly increase your nutrient intake. And that's basically what makes us feel good on a daily basis.
1: Mm. Definitely. I think that diversity is absolutely key. And there's just no like you cannot replicate home cooking. Like as much as we try, you know, we can get, you know, a frozen meal or get some sort of macro portion meal delivered from this like new butte, I don't know, delivery service, but we cannot ever replicate good quality nutrition that we can make ourselves. So one of my tips for my clients, and I work with a lot of sort of high corporate, busy, high profile ladies I say to them, you absolutely have to commit to just making, even if it's just breakfast yourself each day, or lunch yourself, or dinner each day. Like a lot of my ladies eat out quite a lot. Yes, we look at great options and you know better options than they're previously choosing, but you cannot replace something that you've bought from the shops with something that you've made yourself. So I really do think that the commitment this year should be to, to cook a little bit more at home and have that understanding and appreciation of what's actually going into a good quality meal as well. Because as you said, we're we're missing a lot of the the antioxidants of phytochemicals, the different types of fibers that we're going to get from just good quality nutrition and having a diverse mix of recipes and foods in our diet versus what we can pick up at the supermarket, which might look, you know, and be quite quote unquote healthy on paper, but still for our health long-term, we're not really doing ourselves many favors. So as many whole foods, as much color, as much variety as possible is really where we need to be, be heading this new year, put it that way.
0: All right. Well, Moving on from one area of nutrient density to another in our product of the week. Now we know that a lot of nutrition couch listeners are big fans of convenient snacks on the run. We get asked a lot of questions about bars and particularly protein bars. And so when we were chatting about the lineup today, um, you said to me, Leanne, I've got a bar that I really like, and I actually hadn't seen it before. So it was really interesting. I, I quickly tail tailed myself down to Coles and got my glasses on because how tiny are those labels too? I can't see half of the time. (laughs) Um, I got the light out on the phone. The kids are going to be so embarrassed soon. But anyway, these fantastic RX bars, which you've been a fan of for a while, there's all different varieties. They're in really beautiful sort of brightly colored packets. There's blueberry, mixed berry, chocolate sea salt. The ones I got were, I got the peanut butter, I think there's several different ones, but a closer look at the nutritionals, it's quite strong. Um, you like the taste of them, mm-hmm. but they come—they're not. Are they from America? Is that where we get them from?
1: I've, I first heard about them from my American clients. Yeah, so this was a couple of years ago now, but they're actually in the Aussie market as well. So I am um, order mine from the, you know, just the. the online health food shop sort of thing but uh, as you discover they're actually popping up in in coal some coal's um shopping centers these days as well so i think they i think they are an american product but they're they're very very strong nutritionally and they're really good in terms of travel wise whenever i travel i always just have them in my handbag they're quite portable they don't need to be refrigerated and the best thing is there is only six ingredients and they're all whole food based or five ingredients and
0: they write that on the front in quite large writing so if you need me like a and can't see the nutrition labels that will help you but the bar's about 52 grams so they're a decent size because that's the other thing isn't it sometimes we pay reasonable amounts of money and and they're quite small whereas this is a good 52 gram size quite substantial they come in at about 200 calories per serve total fat seven grams i'm just taking one variety but this is sort of a rough average um 24 grams of carbohydrate Four grams of dietary fiber, sugars, 15 grams, but keep in mind that's coming from the dates, whereas it includes zero added sugars, which is important. And I think, Leanne, we will start to see a lot more labeling here in Australia for added sugars versus naturally occurring, and 12 grams of protein, which I love because when I'm recommending snack bars for my clients, I'm saying I want a controlled amount of carbohydrate. I want minimal added sugars. I normally say less than five grams per serve, and I want at least five, if not closer to ten, of protein. And this is where the benefit comes from a protein bar, and not all tick this box. So it is really worth seeking out ones that do have this similar macronutrient profile. But I love this, like 12 grams of protein and 200 calories, is kind of my definition of a perfectly balanced snack, Leanne. So if my clients brought this to me, I'd be like, yeah, this is actually a great choice. It's gluten free, which is a bonus because a lot of people are also keen to go for gluten-free snack products. And I have got them downstairs. I haven't tried them yet. But I have to agree with you. The nutritional profile is really strong. And if I was going to spend if I was going to spend that amount or have a very small meal on the go or was traveling and wanted a nutritious snack, I would absolutely agree. I think they're a really strong one nutritionally. And um, I wouldn't have a problem if my client opted for that late afternoon with some veggie sticks or some berries. Mm
1: -hmm. And I love how it's um, very transparent, the marketing, the ingredients are listed on the front. So the RX bar that I've got in front of me is the mint chocolate flavor. Um, I quite like that one. So it's got three egg whites, Four almonds, six cashews, two dates, and no BS, which I think is a cheeky <laughs> little marketing thing. And it's also got some mint and some natural flavors and some sea salt and some um, cocoa powder in there as well, just to make up the the flavor of the mint chocolate in there as well. So I really, really do like them. These are these are some of my favorite ones on the market, just from the fact that it's completely transparent. You understand every ingredient that's going in there, um, and you know I wouldn't hesitate to give these to you know like a child or a grandparent or something like that. But I will just make a point that on the label, it does say that it may contain, um, you know, traces of peanuts or it's made on manufacturing equipment that also contains wheat. So if you have diagnosed celiac disease, unfortunately, this is probably something that you need to avoid because we can't um, guarantee that there's no cross-contamination. But if you're just following something like a lower wheat or gluten diet, you'd be absolutely fine with these products. Um, but there is that statement that um, the manufacturing process does contain things like, or may contain things like nuts and, um, and milk and wheat. So if you do have legitimate allergies, um, just probably be a little bit wary of this as well because I think it is an American product and their labeling um, I'm always a little bit more careful of compared to I think Australian labels do quite well. So besides that, I I really do enjoy this product and they're they're quite good and they're a decent size. As you said, they're actually quite filling. They can tie me over very easily um, between meals or if I'm out and about and I'm like, oh crap, I'm not going to get home for lunch for an hour or two. I'm starving. These are actually a really good, um, quite filling snack option.
0: So I paid $4 for them in Coles Now I'm just having a look and you may be off to clarify this. So when I go to the website, it's got them for $26 for 12 but I'm assuming that's the American pricing. Would I be right? And then I'm just looking if we order them here just in terms of shipping. Mm-hmm. So thehealthylifeshop.com, this is just a quick scan. So they're selling them on sale at the moment for $2.80. So you can certainly shop around and get them in Australia delivered depending on shipping they at reasonable cost if you buy them in bulk. So that's the other thing. If, if you're budget conscious and want to minimise that, have a shop around because, one, they do discount them quite frequently in supermarket, this kind of product, but in some of the bigger supplement shops who are importing them, you might get a pretty good deal. So they become quite cost effective as well. Mm -mm. So they're
1: not something that we would like call cheap or anything like that, but I think they are a quality product and something I am very happy to spend some money on and always have something in my handbag or in my car. Um, So they get a thumbs up from me, Susie.
0: And the other thing I've just thought of, because I'm thinking of what some clients or with feedback we would get. So I would have someone who would message me and say, well, what's wrong with just having the almonds and just having the piece of fruit? And I would say, absolutely. That would be, you're right. It's a fresh, natural, food but the issue I have is that people often don't have the fresh fruit or the almonds or what happens is they eat the whole bag of almonds (laughs) so (laughs) we are absolutely not saying that processed food or snack bars are better nutritionally than fresh food what we're saying is it's an option and if you need something on the go or you find portion controls an issue or you just want to mix things up That's where these products fit into the diet and it's about different options for different people. And this is definitely,
1: it's something we would call a processed food, but it's not an ultra processed food. Like some of the other snack bars out there are ultra processed where they've got a ton of different things. They're really highly processed. You can't pronounce half the ingredients and you're really not sure what some of the things in there are even doing in there or the purpose of them. So I like that this brand is super transparent. You know exactly what the ingredients are. They're all whole food based and sure they're blended up and created into a bar. So it's not, you couldn't call it a whole food. You'd call it a processed food, but it's not an ultra processed. Processed food, which I think is an important um, distinction.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Wonderful. And then final segment of the show, Susie, running on this protein trend <laughs> that we've got going on, um, we had a listener question about how much protein should I be having and what happens if we get too much protein? So- It's sort of like that question where with how much protein should I have is like, how long is a piece of string? I think every person has a different requirement in terms of protein. And I personally think that our guidelines or most health guidelines around the world are a little bit too low. If you look at most guidelines, it's about 0.8 to 1 gram of protein um, for a healthy adult. And I I honestly think if if the goal is just to be healthy and maintain your weight, then sure, that's probably enough. But a lot of us have goals around weight loss. We have goals around physique training, increasing muscle mass, or, you know, A lot of patients I used to work with in the hospital were malnourished and they have higher protein requirements. So, for most of my lady Susie, I personally aim for about 1.2 to 1.5 grams of protein um, per kilo. I know I've had a lot of DMs from people being like, My trainer wants me to get two, two and a half grams of protein. I personally think that's too much. Not that it's probably going to do much. Like it's not negative as such, but when you're having more protein, you're also displacing other nutrients. So the more protein you get, the less carbohydrates and whole grains and that sort of thing you're able to get in. So more protein is not necessarily better. And I think the thing that people forget that yes, protein is a wonderful macronutrient, but more is not better. So if we're taking in more protein than our body needs, it's gonna do one of two things, Susie. It's either gonna use it for energy if we're sort of in a deficit and we, we need to use more energy or we're actually going to store it as body fat. So I think a lot of people forget that protein can actually be stored as body fat if we're taking in more than our body actually needs or more calories than our body actually needs. So more is not necessarily better. And it is really important to evenly distribute that protein throughout the day. There's no point in having you know, a couple of grams of protein at breakfast, 10 grams at lunch, and then like 50 grams in this enormous steak at dinner, because your body just cannot utilize and doesn't have a need for that much protein at the one time. So I think for a lot of people, if you look at the guidelines, my advice to my clients is generally different, but that's personalised advice for the clients that I work with. What are your recommendations for for your clients? And I don't think this is something we can pro- probably answer because we don't know the listener. We don't know um, their background or what their goals are. But as a general guide, what do you sort of aim for protein-wise with your clients, Susie?
0: I agree with everything you've said. Because my females tend to be a little bit smaller and and less active, I work on a minimum of one gram per kilo roughly. But what I will say is I also work on about 30% of overall intake, which is often a little bit more than that. And as we said, it's not a one size fits all model. So it's not a prescriptive recommendation. These are just the minimal requirements for health and to get the key micronutrients, things like your zinc and your iron, your calcium that we get from protein rich foods. But the other little trick is, is just spreading it out through the day to help support insulin regulation and appetite control. So I roughly work on 20 to 30 grams of, of overall protein per main meal and five to 10 for snacks. So it's not an exact science. And we've said that several times before, but they're roughly the amounts that I'm, I'm looking towards. And which may be slightly more for a larger person who might be more closer to those targets as described or have a very um, active goal of weight loss or doing a lot of activity. So um, making sure they're getting enough to for their muscle mass. I think that for me, it's also quality of protein in the sense of there's a big difference between say a mincemeat or a chicken thigh and chicken breast and lean fillet steak. So I'm really looking for good quality because a lot of protein will also come with a heavy dose of fat. And just because it's protein doesn't mean that you can have as much fat as you like. And the probably the most common issue I see with protein is, one, not spreading it out through the day. So there'll be sort of an overconsumption at night, particularly with men. Or in the case of athletes or football players is that they'll overdose it at a certain meal. So they'll have a massive shake with 50, 60 grams of protein when the research very clearly states that it's about 20 to 30 grams spread every few hours is best for hypertrophy or muscle growth. So it comes down to consistency. But yeah, I think the other issue with protein is that some of the protein snacks that you will see in the health food section also come with a heavy dose of carbohydrates and sugars like dates or a lot of extra processed fat. So I'm thinking of things like paleo snacks or even keto snacks where they're marketed according to protein, but they'll also have plenty of other calories. So just check that. And it's a rough guy, but as you described, too much will simply be used as extra calories. So it's about a balance often of carbohydrate and protein, whereas people will overdo the protein at the expense of carbohydrate, and that can actually act to impede or work against fat loss. So, if your carbohydrate intake is less than, say, 20, 30%, and you're having a protein load of 50, 40, 50%, that's why you may not be getting fat loss. Because remember, unless you're in ketosis, the body will need a certain amount of carbohydrate to be effectively metabolizing um, body fat. So just keep an eye on those macro. It's about the ratios as well as the absolute amount.
1: Yeah, and I think also from a gut health perspective, because that's one of my, I guess, specialty areas, Susie, too much protein is not good from a gut health perspective either because, again, you're displacing other important nutrients like whole-grain carbohydrates and fiber. So if you're getting that smelly protein induced gas where you're just eating too much protein and your farts smell horrible, you do not have enough fiber and, and, and you know carbohydrate density in your diet as well. So again, if your protein intake is sort of 50% or upwards of your overall diet, I think for the majority of people, it's just far too much. It's not needed. And we've sort of been conditioned by the media or, or I guess fitness trainers who really don't have the qualifications or expertise to be recommending nut- nutrition requirements to just go more, more, more and harder, harder, harder. It's not necessarily um, needed for the majority. Of people. And I don't think also, I think, you know, years ago we used to think that too much protein was really bad. We didn't pair our kidneys and that sort of thing. So we have a lot of research now, particularly from a sports nutrition perspective, Susie, to support that you know, even up to about three grams of protein, it's not going to do too much from a health, like a detrimental health perspective. Of course, if you already have issues with your kidneys, you need to be very careful about the amount of protein that you have or other specific health conditions. But for healthy adults, they can have up to three grams of protein per kilo. I'm not saying they need to, or they should, but they can, their body can safely sort of tolerate that level. Whereas when I was studying and going to university, Susie, I would have said, oh no, that's terrible. Don't ever have that much. It'll impair your kidneys. But we sort of have the research to show that it's not really detrimental from a health perspective if you're a healthy adult to begin with, but it's just not needed. So although you might your body might be able to tolerate that amount, your kidneys can clear it just fine. It's not needed. And as I keep saying, you're displacing other important nutrients in your diet if you're having a huge, you know, protein load. And the other thing is if you're in a larger body to begin with, I did say, you know, sometimes I'll give my clients 1.2 to 1.5. I'm not going to give someone 1.5 grams of protein if they weigh 200 kilos, if they weigh 150 kilos. So the goal should really be based on your body weight, or if you're in a larger body, should be based on the body weight that you're aiming to achieve or just based on your lean muscle mass. So a lot of the times we don't need to calculate protein based on fat and lean muscle mass. Um, So if you're in a larger body, particularly over about 100 kilos, I'd be aiming for that protein requirement, say what your goal weight is, whether it's 70 kilos or 80 kilos go you know 80 kilos by 1.2 grams of protein or something like that you don't have to if you're in a body that's 150 kilos I wouldn't be going 150 kilos by 1.5 grams of protein because you're going to have a really really hard time getting that in so that's I think another important point it really does come down to the body size to begin with as well when we're thinking about protein requirements and again great plugs for you know sports dietitians as well this is really their area of expertise if you're confused about how much you should be eating absolutely a great time of year to go and touch base with a local sports dietitian. 100%.
0: All right, Leanne. Well, that brings us to the end of The Nutrition Couch for another week. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to have us delivered to your inbox each Sunday morning. And if you're new to The Nutrition Couch in 2022, welcome. And we look forward to hearing from you throughout the year. We have our Instagram and Facebook sites running for any feedback or questions at The Nutrition Couch podcast. And we will see you bright and early, same time, same place next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys next week.